the Word of God from Matthew 21, 1 through 17. Jesus enters Jerusalem to start the week leading to his crucifixion. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. Then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, yes. Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Sojourn, this is the word of God. Good morning. Thanks, Anthony. The, uh, the text he just read, uh, I would encourage you to turn to that in your copy of scriptures or use the, uh, the Bible in the seat in front of you. It'll be on page 875. If you're not used to looking at the Bible, the uh, large number will be the chapter number, and the smaller number will be the verse number. Those are just helpful to help us find our way around uh, the scripture. So, yeah, we're going to be looking at that this morning. Happy Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday before Easter, and it's observed in churches worldwide, both Western Christianity, Protestant and Roman Catholic, and Eastern Christianity, which would be Russian and Greek Orthodox churches. In some countries, it's observed as a, both a religious and a cultural holiday, a day of fun and celebration. And it marks the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem leading up to his crucifixion, the week we call Holy Week. You know, it's interesting that in the four Gospels, this week, takes up somewhere between one-fourth and one-third of all of the words that are recorded in the Gospels. So if the Gospels were laid out on a scroll and Jesus' life were there, 
for this one week, it would be a third to a quarter of all of that. So there's incredible amount of significance to this. It's interesting, though, that the Gospel of John is the only one that records palms being thrown to Jesus. We call it Palm Sunday, though, so we're going to go with that, all right? Now, since we're over 2,000 years from this event, it's going to be helpful to set the context of exactly where we're at. This was the Sunday before Passover. Uh, Jerusalem would have been absolutely packed with Jews coming from all over the place and more coming in every day. Uh, he rode into the city on a donkey, people shouting, Hosanna, throwing palm branches in his path. And this may, to us, initially seem like, well, this sounds fun. This is a celebration. But to some of those there, this was an act of rebellion because it was kings who rode into cities on animals. And Jerusalem already had a king put in place by the Roman Empire, and he was a Jewish king. Now, many of the folks in the city knew that Jesus had performed miracles. He'd raised people from the dead. He talked and preached about his kingdom that was coming. And so they saw him as a political liberator, getting them out from under the oppression of the Romans. So from this text today, I want to bring two truths to you. You should worship Jesus as the king of your life. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to persuade you today that Jesus is king of all and that you should place your trust in him. Now, the others of you who are already trusting Jesus, I want to remind you that he is king of all. He's king of the universe. And your life should be spent worshiping him. So how did we get here? How did we get to this point of Jesus riding into Jerusalem? Well, I want to tell you a little story, a big story. And it starts in the beginning. God created the universe and everything in it. He created human beings. And he created them in his image to continue the work he had started. But very soon, humans decided... We wanted to live our own way and not God's way. Selfishness and violence filled the world, so God decided to start over with, what, with just one family, and that was Noah's family. Later on, years later, God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. And he told Abraham, the land around you is yours, and I'm going to bless the whole world through your family. In just a few generations... This family grew into a large nation named Israel. Now, the Egyptians became fearful of these, this nation of Israel, and they enslaved them. And then God, miraculously, through a man named Moses, led the people in a great exodus out into the desert to the promised land. And along the way, God gave the Israelites laws and commands that would help them obey him. Finally, 40 years later, after a lot of struggle, a lot of complaining by the Israelites, 
they finally arrived back home in the land that God had promised them. But Moses was not allowed to enter this land because he had sinned and disobeyed God. And God allowed Moses to die before entering. And so God promised to send someone greater than Moses to lead these people. If you have the opportunity to go to YouTube and find a song called So Long Moses, I would encourage you to do that by Andrew Peterson. You find the version with the lyrics because he's going to tell the story from Moses to the coming of Jesus in a wonderful way. And while you're at it, the entire album, Behold the Lamb of God, just listen to it, learn it, observe, enjoy it. So when things were great for the Israelites, they worshiped God, but even in that, they soon turned from God and began living their own rebellious lifestyle. So generation after generation, this became the pattern of ups and downs, worship God, sin against God. God did put in place some leaders. One of them was Samuel, and he was a prophet. He was a godly man, but even he couldn't rule perfectly. He couldn't even get his own sons to obey God's laws. He was not the prophet that Israel needed. But God had told the Israelites, I'm your king. I'm the only king you're going to need. But the nation looked around at all the other nations around them, corrupt, evil nations, and they said, oh, we want a king like they have. They insisted this. So God allowed this to happen. He allowed Samuel to choose a man named Saul. He was chosen to be Israel's first king, and his reign started out well, but he too failed. He was not the king that was needed. And then the next king was a courageous young boy named David. David obeyed God. God blessed him, and the nation grew but he wasn't perfect. He committed adultery and murder to commit to cover up his, his sin. He repented and he was forgiven, but the kingdom suffered, and so the throne passed on to his son Solomon. And God reiterated a promise to Solomon, and he said, one day one of your descendants will rule the, a kingdom that will never end. So full of God's wisdom, Solomon wrote books like Proverbs. He built a magnificent temple, a permanent building where God would be worshipped. But unfortunately, Solomon was not the king that was promised. He too strayed from God, marrying corrupt wives who led him into idol worship. Then civil war broke out. The kingdom was divided. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And then both of those kingdoms had corrupt kings. There were a few good kings along the way, but mostly bad kings. So God sent some prophets to warn these nations to turn back to him. They challenged the Israelites and their kings to return to God's better ways, but mostly the Israelites just wouldn't listen at all. So other nations swept in 
conquered both of these nations. God's people were forced out of the promised land. And many of them were taken slaves once again. So back into slavery they go. The temple was destroyed. The people lost everything. And we call this the time of the exile. Many of those Israelites named Jews were scattered across the known world. Some of them to never uh, collect again. So had God forgotten his people? Was was he not going to be faithful to the promises he made? No. Though scattered, God was watching over his people. And he gave them hope. And he spoke through some of these prophets. One of them he spoke through was Jeremiah. Through Jeremiah, God told these people, I'll make a new covenant with my people in Israel. Returning them to the promised land and filling their hearts and their minds with my ways. Sixty years later, that hope was realized. The Persian Empire freed the Jewish people to return to the Promised Land. A smaller temple was built there under uh, the leadership of a man named Ezra. Other prophets like Malachi and Isaiah pointed to the future and a coming king, a Messiah, one who would fully restore Israel and bring in a new kingdom of peace. So the Jewish people waited and they hoped. And yet God went silent on them. And he wouldn't speak again for 400 years. Then, about 2,000 years ago, God spoke again. He spoke to a young girl named Mary. In an, an unimportant young woman in an un, unimportant place, he told her that she was about to have a child who was the son of God. God himself was coming. He was going to enter time and space and clothe himself in a human body. And John the Baptist came along, preaching of a kingdom to come. And then Jesus, who was born of Mary as an adult man, came along. And for three years Jesus preached about his kingdom. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. So maybe he was the king that would free them from the oppression. Yes, Jesus was a king. And he did come to free mankind from oppression. But the oppression that he came to free from was far more than freeing them from an enemy like the Romans. So in our culture, we don't have the same uh, familiarity with serving under a king. We, we think of newly crowned King Charles III. And even if we lived in uh, Great Britain, doesn't necessarily demand our worship or our allegiance. He's more of just a figure of, of state. But we all have kings in our lives. We all have things that we do give our allegiance to. We may give our allegiance to ourselves, or to success, or money, or our family, physical pleasure, security. But Jesus does demand, and he deserves our allegiance. And allegiance to Jesus ends up 
not enslaving us, but freeing us. It frees us from the oppression of sin and idol worship. Leads us to true freedom if we follow him. So maybe you're not convinced yet that Jesus is the king you should worship. But let's see how the text declares his kingship. So if you want to look at the text there, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to be walking through that. I want to tell you that Jesus declares his kingship first by riding on a donkey. If we were to find out that a world leader was coming to Chattanooga, what do you think it would be like in the streets of Chattanooga? A lot of preparation, security, roads blocked off. Uh, it would be a huge, huge deal. Look at Matthew 21, 1 through 5, and I need to grab my Bible. Sorry. It's okay because Isaiah has done that before too. <laughs> when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, Go into the village ahead of you, and once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt, Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle, mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So what is going on with this? What is he doing? Why does he want to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? He's never done this before. He's entered Jerusalem many times in his life, but never like this. Matthew tells us why in verses 4 and 5, because he's quoting the Old Testament prophet Zechariah in a prophecy about Israel's king. If you want to look on the Bibles provided on page 845, although it's only a few pages previous to this, it's hundreds of years earlier this was prophesied. Zechariah said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus is on the foal of a donkey, not on a white horse with a sword and a fist of iron, but gentle, meek, and lowly. In that same chapter in Zechariah 9, God states that this king will speak peace to the nations. So he's saying this is not just a regional king for a small area. This is a king that will impact the entire world. We all have catchphrases or corporate slogans that we're familiar with such as, what's in your wallet? Eat fresh. Breakfast of champions. And for some of you, your very favorite, the happiest place on earth. So when I say, what's in your wallet? 
you probably don't think, oh, my wallet, my purse. No, you think Capital One, right? When these words were revealed, Jesus riding in a, on a colt, the, the people in that culture, especially the religious leaders, were so steeped in the Old Testament. They knew the scriptures, most of them, their leaders from memory. When they saw Jesus riding in on a colt, the foal of a donkey, they thought, where do I know that from? And for many of them, they would have thought back to Zechariah 9 immediately. And they would have put it together, wait a second, that talks about a king. Jesus declares his kingship by riding in on the foal of a donkey. And secondly, he declares his kingship by cleansing the temple. Now let's look at verses 12 and 13. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of thieves. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 56. Remember I told you in the story of the Old Testament, these, pro these prophets were telling of a coming king. In Isaiah in chapter 56, used these words. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus was claiming authority to rule over how God is to be worshipped and how his presence is to be accessed. This is Jesus, by cleansing the temple, exercising his kingship over the nation's access to God, not just the Jews' access to God. Thirdly, Jesus declares his kingship by healing. So how did healing these people declare his kingship? Well, we, we've been told this before in the New Testament with the story of John the Baptist. He was in jail, and he sent and asked for Jesus, and he sent a question. He said, are you the expected one, or should we be looking for someone else? In other words, John the Baptist is doubting, and he sends his disciples to ask are you the coming king of Israel or the Messiah? Jesus sent word back in Matthew chapter 11. This is what he told him. Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. In other words, yes, I am the coming king. So how does the healing of people, the blind and the lame, the temple after coming into Jerusalem on a donkey mean I'm the coming king because again Jesus knew his Old Testament and back in Isaiah 35 the prophet Isaiah describes the coming kingship of the Messiah like this be strong do not fear God's retribution is coming he will save you then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the lame will leap like a deer so, so far, where are we? Jesus comes in on a donkey, lowly and gentle and patient. He comes cleansing his father's house to make it a house of prayer for all the nations. He comes healing the blind and the lame. 
all to show what his kingdom it will be in part. And it will be fully in the age to come. It's not just a kingship over other kings, but it's over disease and all of nature. He is the king that deserves our allegiance. And he goes on further. He declares his kingship by his response to children. He, he does this by the way he responds to what the people and the children are doing and saying. In verse 8, the crowds are spreading their cloaks on the ground in front of him. And 2 Kings in the Old Testament tells us that this is what the crowds do when a king rides into town. We look at our text in Matthew 21 in verse 9. The, the crowds were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now that's the crowds. Then it references verse 15. The children were shouting the same things. Hosanna to the Son of David. In other words, the king is here. The king is here. And the chief priest became indignant at this. Now, they could have responded by saying, do you hear what these people are saying? If you look at the text, that's not what they said. They said, do you hear what these children are saying? They can't believe that Jesus is allowing this to happen. Jesus hears the chief priest, and he answers their question when they said, do you hear what these children are saying? And he answers them by by quoting Psalm chapter 8. He says, yes, have you never read? And, they all, and that portion of Psalm 8 is this, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your glory, with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. Jesus doesn't tell them, the children, to stop shouting Hosanna. He affirms them by quoting from an Old Testament text that speaks of the majesty and the kingdom of God. He says, they're talking about God's majesty. They're talking about me. And then Jesus declares his kingship by dying on a cross. When Jesus was crucified, a placard was put above his head in mockery. It said, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. And it was meant to ridicule him, but actually it stated for everyone who saw it that the man dying here is a king. And as I said earlier, he never sinned, but he was put to death with thieves and murderers. The Old Testament law stating that a living being had to be sacrificed to atone or to make right our relationship with God. And it had to be repeated constantly, year after year after year. So friends, my sin and your sin are so great that in order for our sin debt to be paid, there had to be a perfect sacrifice. Only God is perfect, so the God-man Jesus died for the sins of everyone who would ever turn from those sins and place their faith in him. 
born of a virgin, he never sinned in thought or in deed, and he always obeyed God's commands, always. He lived a perfect life. So unlike all of those kings before him who would fail, disappoint, and lead their people into sin, he never failed. He never disappointed. He never led people into sin. During the Passover time, when Jerusalem was filled with people, hundreds of thousands of animals would be sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. Jesus obediently submitted to a horrible death by crucifixion to satisfy God's wrath against sin after living a life of absolute perfection. Then three days later, he was raised from the dead and right now he's in heaven at God's right hand. So, friend, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, repented of your sins, you can do that right now where you're sitting. Or grab one of the pastors or who you came with. We will be glad to introduce you to Jesus. Jesus is king. And so for these reasons, but not only these reasons, he should be worshipped. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. There's no end to bad news in our world today. This fallen world can be frightening with wars, senseless shootings, earthquakes, rampant sin, decadence in our society. So this should make us wish and long for someone wise and kind who can address the root causes of these things, who can defeat our enemies, who can protect us. There's a king like this, and his name is Jesus the Messiah. I just want you to listen to what John saw in heaven as I read this from the Revelation. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth, so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible tells us that Jesus is a king. He's not only a king, but the text stated that he's king of kings and lord of lords. So as we live in this fallen world and we seem to get defeated by this fallen world, we get defeated by our own sinful desires and Satan attacking us. It's vital, it's vital, fellow believer, that we be reminded that Jesus is king of kings 
and Lord of Lords. The gospel tells us that these defeats are temporary because Jesus is in heaven right now, as I said, at the right hand of God the Father, and he has been given the name that is above all names. He holds all power, and he can't and won't fail to bring the final victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. So, fellow believers, our hope is never lost because he will defeat all of our enemies. He's not only the king of his people, those who are trusting in them. He is king of kings. He is over all rulers, which means that those who follow other so-called kings or authorities must ultimately bow down to him. And it's our joy to call others to this reality. The reality of God's present royal reign and call others that they should also bow down to Jesus as a sovereign over all. And fellow believers, in the end, all will bow down to him as king. Some willingly because he's given them new hearts, but some by force as he compels them to bend the knee before sending them to eternal judgment. The historic Presbyterian Westminster Shorter Catechism states, Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. He subdues our stony hearts and our sinful desires and makes us willing subjects of his kingdom, a kingdom that will never end because he's conquering all of its enemies, including the world's senseless violence and decadence and the devil. Fellow believers, our hope is never lost because he will defend us and he will defeat all of our enemies. So friend, what would your life look like if you woke every day with the mindset that you serve this King Jesus? Not just that he has saved you from hell, but he is all-powerful, all-loving. What if you gave up your allegiance to self and success and money and pleasure and family and security, all false gods that become demanding rulers? And instead, you became like the little children, shouting, Hosanna! unqualified worship of King Jesus, joyful to be in the presence of your beloved, childlike trust and dependence when life is difficult, finances are tight, or loneliness becomes the most consistent thing in your life. Jesus came the first time, and he's coming again as the king over all kings, king of Israel, king of all the nations, king of nature and the universe. And until he comes again, there is a day of amnesty and forgiveness and patience. He currently still rides on a donkey and not yet a white war horse with a rod of iron. He's ready to save all who will receive him 
as Savior and treasure and King. If you don't know him, come to him. Know him. Receive him. Live your life in allegiance to him. Worship Jesus as the king that he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that instructs us and guides us, teaches us. Lord, I pray for myself, for these friends, that we would all put away and reject false kings that we would turn to Jesus as our king today, tomorrow, for all eternity. And Lord, if there's any in our hearing today who have not yet placed their trust in you, Lord, today, would you make today the day of salvation for them, and that they would trust in King Jesus today. Amen. And now...